Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Two Norris podcast. I'm your host, James, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Timmy Long. Hi, everyone. Sean, as always, is on the light and sound. How are you, Sean? Not too bad. How are you getting on? We have a few guests in the audience, and today is a special podcast, and thanks to the Cork Deaf Association for organising this, but we've got Dan, Dr. John Bosco Kanema in the studio from Trinity College, Dublin. We have two interpreters, and we have Jory from the Cork Deaf Association. So uh, this is a special podcast for the National Sign Language Day. And um, Dr. John, how are you keeping? And thanks for coming down to meet us today. It's my pleasure to be here, and you're welcome. No, no, it's great to have you here. I suppose the reason how this came about was because um, there's a couple of people access this podcast who would be in recovery from addiction, but they are deaf. And they mentioned to us that they were accessing it through lip reading, which wasn't ideal. And uh, so then me and Timmy were thinking about how can we make it more accessible? And we got in contact with Jerry from the Cork Deaf Association. And in the conversation, then it came up about how about we do like a podcast um, on the topic of deafness. And uh, she suggested you to come down. So that's how it came about. And we're delighted to have you here. So I suppose... The one of the question, the first question I want to ask is, were you born deaf or did it happen through an accident? And what kind of hearing ability have you at all? Is it completely complete deafness or? Mm. Right. Okay. Um, first off, I was born deaf. Um, it has been recorded about um, how I became deaf. It says unknown. I have never had any type of hearing at all. And I will often say to people that I am deaf as a post. <laughs> because people often ask, do you even have some hearing? It's like nothing at all. That is the life that I have. But um, I do have a name sign. And as you can see, it's the finger going around the ear. And that's the equivalent to um, a hearing aid sign. Because when we were growing up, we would have a body-worn hearing aid, which was rather awkward because when you're out playing sports, you would fly around with you. But then it became to a behind-the-ear hearing aid. Now it's supposed to be the first boy at the deaf school to be fitted with a hearing aid. So I ended up with the hearing aid sign. So just like your James, your Tim, but within the deaf community, in sign language, it's dependent on your body, it's your habits, and there's different ways of 
giving you your own name sign. So I ended up with the hearing aid sign to represent my name. Okay, okay. And how was school for you? Did you go like to a regular school or um, like was it difficult in school for you? Oh, no, that's going to be a long story. I'm going to try and abbreviate that. Uh, when I was three and a half years old, my parents were recommended that I go to a deaf school in Dublin. And in South Dublin, there's a school called Beach Park. And then after that, then I went to St. Joseph's School for the Deaf in Cabra, which is North Dublin. So I've been educated in both schools. Mm -hmm. But the philosophy back then is what was called oralism. And this was a worldwide phenomenon. And they had the belief that you teach children to learn through speech and listening, not allowed to use sign language. And if you ended up signing, you were looked down upon. And you were, you know, it was not the thing to do. And a lot of people to this day believe that sign language is inferior to the spoken language. Mm -hmm. And then you also have to look at the quality of the education. It was not so great. You literally were learning your steps. So it was a self-learning approach. The teachers were not qualified signers. The teachers were not encouraged to teach sign. Can you imagine going to a French-speaking school and you didn't know French and you would have to learn your breathing that way? So that's what we had to do for many years. Now, there are differences today, though, I have to say. And, you know, in the, the English language is very complex in, in that it evolves all the time. There's new words added to the dictionary all the time. Can sign language evolve the same way? Is it difficult to keep up with new words and complex terms? Oh, that's an easy answer. The languages for both spoke, spoken and sign does evolve through time. And like you say, spoken languages and sign language. Now, the best example, look at the word telephone. Mm -hmm. We're now texting. So can you imagine what the old sign for telephone would have been? Mm -hmm. Can you see that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then it evolved over time. And then you press the buttons and you pick up the phone yeah. and then you had the, the very, very iconic visual signs. Mm. So, but it would evolve through time. And not just for things that change, but there's also the international influences. Think about you can fly anywhere that you like. Social media. So there's a lot of people that are picking up signs from America, UK, and integrating it into the local sign language. Mm. So, yes, the answer to that is... Yes, it does evolve over you, time. You know, growing up, did you have a, any younger brothers and sisters? Um, and were, was, were they able to hear perfectly? And would that have been an issue in the home? Were, were they able to help you and understand what was going on for you? I am the 11th child in the family <laughs> and the youngest. The I come from the west of Ireland, Roscommon. And it was common back then to have a big family. So, yeah. And I'm the only one who is deaf in the family. There is no history in the family of deafness. And even with the future generations, there is no deafness in the family. Now, of course, uh, my parents were advised by the professionals, quote-unquote professionals, do not learn sign language. So they took that advice to heart. And that was a struggle for many years because within the family, what we created, what were called home signs, 
but the home science that I would use there, I would not use elsewhere in the community. So my parents had to come up with signs of, are you hungry, do you want to drink? You know, they would form their own signs to communicate with me. I do have older siblings, of course, and to this day we still use those home signs. So if the in interpreters came to my house, they would not understand what we are signing. But that's a habit that we've got in our own home and we still use it to, to this day. All of my siblings are hearing. Like I said, there is absolutely no deafness in the family at all. So do you know the way like uh, sign language was actively discouraged? Like, was it because um, it was seen as like enabling like deafness to, pro to, 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 to prolong or why was it why was it discouraged? Why was it why were parents taught not to sign with their children? Like, there are many reasons that could be sizes. First of all, I think that it, there's a genuine fear that if you learn sign language, that it would affect your ability to be able to speak. And that, that still remains to this day. So they're saying, do not encourage sign language. But research says the opposite. Mm. Now, in the old days, um, sign language was seen to be unsightly, not human. And we were mocked as though we were monkeys, we were gesturing. And if you look at the Victorian times, you know, there's a certain way of speaking, there's a certain way of um, positioning yourself. So to sign would not be sightly looking. And there are some people that do not like sign language at all. So that was the, I think it's the fear that it would affect other abilities. Mm -hmm. And that's more about in the noble times, but it is misguided information. Because if children do not speak or write, they say that they can't integrate in society. But historically, deaf people do integrate in society. There's plenty of evidence to back it up. Yeah. And the best example that I, I can give you one, here in Cork, 300 years ago, a well-known woman by the name of Lady Mary O'Brien, um, she was able to sign. Uh, she had her own land. And there's that evidence there. That is one example, obviously from the higher class. Yeah. But the thing is, is that it did exist amongst all the classes. Did um, what he spoke about there in regards to um, sign language being something out of the ordinary within communities, did he feel, and other people who were deaf, did they feel alienated from the larger society? Did they feel like that they were their own community and not connected to everybody else? Okay. Um, if we're looking at the deaf community, the answer would be yes. Mm. Especially from the outside looking in, it's seen as a ghetto, it's seen as a closed community. In fact, it is not. Okay. It's actually a haven because we work every day in the hearing worlds. Most of us will have hearing children. Most of us will have hearing parents. You cannot isolate yourself from that. Communication-wise, it can be a struggle, but we as deaf people automatically adapt into the hearing world. For example, I work in a hearing university. Obviously, everybody's hearing. I'm teaching a hearing audience. My family are hearing. Do I see myself as isolated? No. Do I see myself as different? Yes. But 
slowly but surely there is the recognition of difference and that it's okay to be involved but the 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 society at large are not ready to adapt to our needs yeah. so therefore they're unaware of our presence yeah, okay that's a good point yeah john if i can ask you about maybe your childhood and in particular your teenage years where generally children or young people would start dating and stuff or uh, maybe like a lot of times uh, children that are different are victims of bullying like was childhood a tough time for you personally i would not describe my own childhood as difficult it was a struggle though mm. but i do feel fortunate that i had the love of my family mm, yeah. i wish and I still to this day wish they were able to sign. But that aside, they did um, they did accommodate by providing food, clothing, um, information, and they encouraged my education. Mm. They did all of that for me. Now, I accepted the fact that I was school I was deaf, and that was because of um, being educated in the deaf school. But it was a fact that I had to accept that. You're just born deaf, and but to be able to be told that you have to pass as a hearing person, that was a struggle. But as you can see, I have met my wife; she is deaf, which many other deaf people do as well. And I've often looked at: Did I pick her out of love or because she's deaf? Because that is the discussion that is had every day, and I think it's good to have that conversation. There are deaf people that marry hearing at the moment. But there's a question that is often asked, and it's always at the back of one's mind. If I had married a hearing person, what would it like? Would we have ended up splitting? Um, there's a whole load of issues around it. Now, and I'm actually interested in that area myself anyway, and I'm hoping to do some academic research about that kind of complexity of humanity. But at the moment, I am interested because there are deaf children that are now being educated in mainstream schools all over in Ireland, and they're all isolated. So what are their chances of having a relationship? How will they be able to build relationship? Because my time was very different. I went to a deaf school where there was 300 deaf boys there, and the other, girl, the other school that was nearby was the girls' school. Another 300 girls. We had a chance. Mm. But what about our children of today? Mm. And also that relates to mental health issues as well. And from research that's been done in the UK and the States, um, there are now mental health assessments being required. And there's more work that needs to be done on this, more research needs to be undertaken regarding that scenario. So we've, we've, we've basically gone backwards. So in terms of educating kids who are deaf, instead of kind of helping them out, is, is, is it a good thing to to be keeping kids that are deaf in schools where it's all hearing how, how like that's like for me the understanding is of that is like having a child who's dyslexic inside in a class and they can't relate to what the teachers saying are uh, saying are writing on the board and they feel completely alienated it feels like the same thing because I, I i would have been that child because i was dyslexic in school so i could i can completely understand what it's it's like to be different to everybody else in the class how do we change how do how do we as a society change that and make it more accessible and easier for the children of today who are deaf 
So you have the you're you're talking about the experience. You know what it's like to be mm. on your own, having that type of experience. Now, to think about the deaf child that can't hear anything at all, so they end up sitting at the front trying to lip read. Okay. Now, in my ideal world, if I had all the power, mm. I would recommend that all children go and learn sign language together. But in reality, that will never be possible because most parents will like their child to be educated at their local school. But how to resolve that issue is a struggle and it's a challenge. Now, I would recommend that local clusters be developed where you can come together and allow deaf children to have access to their own peers, like for like, deaf, deaf, sign, sign. It's not about the same age group, but it's more about bringing them together. But I do know that in Cork there are two deaf schools of where there is a good number, one in Bishopstown and the other one is in Douglas. And I think they have about 20, 30 children together. That's okay. Um, but if you look at the current resources, um, parents' wishes, you know, those are the other considerations. But for me, I think if there was regional clusters, easy access to home, but most parents will not want their children to go to boarding school and be left there. And, you know, them boarding schools or them uh, schools specifically for deaf children, are they public funded or private or is there a mix of both? At the moment, publicly funded as far as I'm aware. <clears throat> now, you talk about special schools. You, you mentioned the word special schools. For me, there is absolutely nothing special mm. about those schools. I would prefer it to be said schools for the deaf. Yeah. Um, but within the Department of Education, special has an inferior. Um, there's, they're, like, they're like the special schools as the poor relations. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I understand that. But yeah. as far as I'm aware, um, publicly food public funders, but fundraising for school trips, licensing, yeah. those kind of um, extras would be fundraised for, uh, but publicly funders and a small amount of fundraising, but I stand to be corrected on that. Yeah, I think it might have been lost in translation, yeah, because I, I said specific schools for deaf, not special. And um, another thing, do you know, like when you, were in when you were in deaf school as a child and then you went into university, and we know on the different universities there's access teams and disability services and stuff like that. Was that the case when you went into university and was that a difficult transition for you? Today is better resourced, but in my time it was completely different. I left school without completing my leaving search. And looking back, I think it's because I was bored. Mm. And I wanted to go and see what the outside world had to offer. Of course, my parents wanted me to complete my leaving search. I did go back and complete my leaving search in a hearing school through evening classes. And from there, I was fortunate that I ended up working for the civil service. And within the civil service, they had funding for staff who wanted to go to university. You pay yourself first, and if you passed it and they were satisfied, you got your money back. So that was a very good incentive for me. So then I went from BA, BA, MA, PhD. I love learning. Mm -hmm. Now, the first two years of my education, 
I did not have an interpreter. I would have to rely on my student colleagues to um, write for me. I would call it a buddy system, but not reliable because of their handwriting or they had fallen asleep in class or they couldn't be bothered writing or they couldn't understand what was being said. Unreliable. So I would have to guess what. But I ended up being a, a better thinker because I had to guess what they were saying. There's loads of other stories that I can tell you about that alone, but I won't. But after two years, interpreters were providers and on it went. Do you know if somebody is watching this on YouTube now and they are deaf and they feel that they can't go to university, um, what kind of supports are, are available for people that are deaf in university to help them in their education journey? All universities in Ireland have an obligation to ensure access under the University Act of 19, 1997. I need to remember my years right. So there is a clause in that all universities provide access, disability service, ensure whatever it is that the students requires. They provide interpreters or what's called a loop system if you're using a hearing aid, a note taker, um, exam accommodations, what's called reasonable accommodations such as extra time. So there is a list of resources available. And at the moment, most deaf people go to university actually are not signing. So they can't rely on an interpreter. They can only rely on a loop system. So they're actually struggling. But for me, if I go to university, I will have an interpreter. But having an interpreter is not enough because it's actually really difficult to get an interpreter because there's not enough of them. Mm -hmm. Is it expensive to get an interpreter? And like, it, do you know if me and Timmy wanted to make this podcast accessible for deaf people, what would you suggest would be the best method we can use? Either closed captions or a sign language interpreter in the screen or what, what would you suggest for us? And what is the cost of something like that? Is it expensive to make stuff accessible? Okay, there, there, there's a lot of, there's, you've asked a lot of questions, so a lot of answers. Okay. The provision of a sign language interpreter can be perceived as expensive, but within the university, they've got a European fund called the ESF, the European Social Fund, that covers that. But if you've got small businesses like yourself, a small private business. Now, I remember when I was involved in the ISL campaign, uh, we, we wanted um, small businesses to provide funding. We have what's called the voucher system within the ISL Act. But before it became an act, the idea had of the voucher scheme came from Finland that every deaf person who uses sign language, I can't remember how in many hours, let's say 100 hours, free voucher funded by the state. So a deaf person can go anywhere they want. They can go to a flower show, uh, anywhere that they themselves wanted to go and do, they would pay for the interpreter. So if the two of you invited me to come here, I could use my own voucher to cover that. But if you want to provide an interpreter on the regular basis, that becomes difficult. Yeah. Like, how do you manage to do that? And you do require a grant to support you in that initiative. In terms of accessibility, I did say that there's the voice recognition subtitling that you can use but you would have to edit that yourself because it's dependent on accent tone spelling so there's a little bit more work required and then also to add an audio descriptor 
for those who are blind that want to listen in. Mm. But we, they are easy, they are quick solutions. Is there going forward for people that are deaf, you know, with technology really, really, really getting advanced at the moment and we're moving into areas that we never thought we would around technology. Is there something down the line that John believes may help people to hear or understand what's what people are saying down the line? Are we moving in that direction? Interesting question. And it's a question that is asked every day and it's talked about every day. Um, absolutely no doubt about us. Um, technology, because if you look at subtitles and the movies, there's no access to TV in the past. So, you, But you do now with captioning. There's also um, research that's been done on avatar-type mm. sign language. A lot of funding is being used for that avatar. And also, the um, we've got an app called Otter, O-T-T-E-R, mm. That will do a recording as well. It's not the most reliable because it'll pick up noises, background noises. But there are different pieces of equipment. But if you're talking about sign language, sign language to English is the most challenging. But most people are saying that because how quickly technology is progressing, it can happen. And... There's also the um, research being done on stem cell, mm. and they said there is a long-term development whereby you become hearing. I'm not a scientist, so I'm, I'm not completely au fait with that, but technology is making progress, but there's two very different perspectives on this. One perspective is that there's a great white hope that it will solve everything. Mm. The other side of it is saying, there are limitations, more work to be done. Yeah. Is the increase in use in technology like social media, does that benefit the deaf community where people um, communicate more now through text, emojis and pictures? Is that welcome from the deaf community? Is it, is it, is it useful? You can sign, you can sign with one hand. Just watch what I'm doing here. You hold the phone and you can sign into it. So yes, you can make live phone calls via video. Yes. Okay. You can do um, signing video messages, cheap, quick, efficient. We've also got Zoom, uh, video calls. Yes, there's a whole range of, there's a whole range out there. Now in Ireland, uh, we've got a service that's called the IRIS, I-R-I-S. It's the Irish Remote Interpreting Service. It's a national service based in Dublin. It is great for people that want to make a video call. So let's take, for example, I'm making a phone call because I want to order pizza. I want to call the doctor. I can go through this remote interpreting service. But the big drawback is that you have to make an appointment first. Oh, you have to make an appointment. And it's a, it's a bit of a pain because yeah. I want to be able to make a phone call on demand. In America, mm. there's an on-demand service. And I remember um, in America renting a car. Uh, the car was not delivered. So I used this on-demand interpreting service. And I said, where's the car? And lo and behold, the car arrives. So I want that type of service here in Ireland. But I think Ireland is not ready for us. Now, recently, there was... Um, a pilot done recently on 
and on demand became very popular. It was a trial for six months and then it was put on hold because they're saying it needs to be evaluated. But that type of service would need to be funded by the state. So if the state wants us to integrate in society, they have to support that. Now, in America, if I remember rightly, 0.01% of all telephone companies' profits goes into the on-demand service. So that's how it became successful in America. And I would like that kind of model to be introduced here in Ireland. Is there, is there like, uh, from listening there, I was just thinking to myself how difficult it must be for somebody who's deaf. Do you know, sometimes in, in life we have something that happens so quickly that we need to be able to make a phone call immediately to solve it, to tell somebody that we're going to be late for a lecture or whatever. Like, that sounds to me like it's so difficult because I remember last Christmas we were late for a flight um, and we had to make, I had to make about 15 different phone calls to travel agents and everything else to get it sorted. And I was saying how difficult that must be for somebody that's deaf. It must be... And, and I get very anxious as well when, when I have to deal with something like that. A software or something that would help people that are deaf with something like that would make their lives so much easier. And in, um, I know we spoke about Zoom and things like that, but we need something in the here and now, right now, to be able to help us instead of something that we have to book an interpreter maybe a day in advance, maybe. And I was thinking, so what about if you want to make... A, it's not a day in advance. You're talking at least... Least two weeks. At least two weeks. What if you want to make it? You have to book a takeaway two weeks in advance, or like you know, is it is it that that sounds to me like it's absolutely ridiculous, you know? Um, but if we if there was a software, if if these telephone companies in the US are putting this amount of money aside, surely be the god that they could come up with some way that people who are deaf are able to communicate on the spot with people and just to meet that will meet their needs and, and at that moment so they don't get really stressed out of it. You know, that must be very, very difficult for deaf people, is it, John? You're right. Um, but there's two... I think that needs to be separated out just a little bit. Yeah. Um, we have an emergency service, 112, and you can text the hospital, the guards, the fire brigade. So 112 text, but you have to register first for okay. that service. And that's a little bit of a, mm, why, because has 999 users, you don't have to register. But for us, mm. we have to register 112. And I actually used the 112 service recently because I was driving on the motorway in Dublin and I had seen um, a van with the carpet fall off yeah. the van into the middle of the rope. And I, for safety's sake, I pulled over, I text 112 to the guards and saying, just to let you know that the cop is on the road. They responded quickly. And, you know, it's the fact that they um, responded. But it turns out that there's other people that have made the phone calls anyway. But it was a quick and easy service and all done in less than a minute. And then I moved on. So that's one side of it. The other part is if you're talking about like things like flight cancellations and so on. If there was somebody that was tech savvy, they would know where to find the flights, hotels and so on. 
But there are apps out there that I actually use. Of course, there is cost to it. Mm. And if you talk about you feeling somewhat anxious or if you're not tech savvy, you can imagine how difficult it is. So talking about apps, what are some of those apps, just in case some of the, 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 the deaf people are, are, are watching this at the moment and they're not familiar with, with some of the apps? Have we? Do you have any off? off? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. And that you could tell us about. I'm going to end up promoting their businesses, so I might ask for <laughs> I might ask for a commission then. We make a sponsorship. It's <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Um, when when it comes to my international traveling, it's booking.com. Okay. Now, in the old days, I would have to ask my family and friends, would you mind booking a room for me? Can you imagine all of that conversation to be had? Mm. Now I can do it myself, log into booking.com, choose what I want and pay for it. Uh, there's also the taxi app, mm. which is great. You know, you pay for that in advance. It, the list goes on. Yeah. Fair play. And for those that are tech savvy, they, they are the ones that are okay. But if you're looking at those who are elderly that uh, would not be okay with technology, it would be, continue to be a struggle. Now, I mentioned the IRIS service, I-R-I-S. A lot of people are dependent on that particular service. Other people are not bothered. They don't want that type of service. So it's recognizing that there are different groupings within the community anyway. Everyone's going to be different. Yeah, yeah. So John is the director of the Centre for Deaf Studies in Trinity College, Dublin. Did you set up that? Uh, is that a degree course or a postgraduate course? Is it only for deaf people or do non-deaf people attend the course as well? And is there a deaf society in Trinity College, Dublin? And do other universities have similar uh, supports and services? Okay. <clears throat> now, before <clears throat> before the TCD, I was in the Irish Deaf Society, and we had set up a working group to 
to campaign for a Centre for Deaf Studies to be set up in Trinity College Dublin. But we had a relationship with them anyway because we were, for 20 years prior, we were doing sign language courses and we were doing deaf awareness training, but we asked for a permanent centre for sign language studies, research and sign language interpreting. That was back in 1999. We received funding and then was formally established in 2001. But the idea of a centre came from England, uh, University of Bristol, Centre for Deaf Studies. That has since closed down for different reasons, but we have still survived. And what we do is we provide an undergraduate degree in deaf studies that is open to all, be you hearing or deaf. So if you want to become an interpreter, teach sign language or just general deaf studies, that is available to all but we are restricted to 20 places a year, so it's a small number. Yeah. 15 come through the CAO system, and five come through um, has mature adults, disabilities, so there's five allocators, and we only have six staff, two part-time, four full-time. We would like to be able to expand. There is pressure on us to increase the number of students, but we can't because there's only six staff because most of the applicants um, that come on the courses do not have sign language, so we have to train them into an introduction of sign language and then go on to interpreter training. Mm. That is a lot of work for them. It's a lot of work for us. But in an ideal world, that they would have a higher standard leaving certificate, just like we would have Irish, English, H4, H3. We want to have that but unfortunately, Irish Sign Language is not a Leaving Search subject. We have it in the Leaving Search Applied, but the university does not recognise the LCA. But we are working on it. We're still hoping, we're still campaigning. But we also offer um, postgraduate for MA, MPhil and PhD. And I'm a supervisor of two PhD students that are hearing. One is soon to finish, the other has got some time to go. The first one is looking at deaf people in prisons during the 19th century. Really fascinating um, research. And his name is Cormac Leonard. He's soon to complete his PhD. And he was interested in this because we know a lot about deaf people in prison um, in the 19th century. Yeah, and prisons kept records of deaf people, of their special needs or whatever. What did they eat today? What was their behaviour like? What was their colour hair, their health? All of that is documented in the prison system. So we know more about deaf people in the 19th century in comparison to today, which is rather a strange world, isn't it? Makes for very interesting reading. There, um, you could read about the attitude towards um, people at that time. The other one is due to start, and that is in relation to deaf, deaf education. No, it's not. Deaf employment, the employment of deaf people. Do you know, do you know for, for people that are deaf, you know, say for someone who's dyslexic and their comprehension is not great, so they'd be much more visual. So for deaf people, where do their strengths lie outside? If they're hearing, where do they work harder with... If, if their hearing isn't, like, if they can't hear, basically. I don't know much about dyslexia myself, mm. but I have met people who have dyslexia, of mm. course. You know, 
yourself included. But there are always valid reasons for um, visual pedagogy. Mm. You know, you look at the cameras, drawings, making mm. things visual. You can teach visual without the written words, without the written text. Now, you know the universe system is very heavily text, and it's a struggle. But if you have a visual way of learning, deaf people would prefer a visual way of learning. Mm. Now, we've started introducing filming as our um, teaching but you know that they, within the university there are academic journals. It is hard work to read them. Mm-hmm. 15, 20 pages and heavy, dense text. It, it can be a struggle to read. Mm-hmm. But if you put it on a film, then it can be an academic resource. The universities are slow to change, but it's there's that re- beginning of a realisation of reg- recognizing that there is a visual pedagogy, not just suiting deaf people, but to suit other populations that would fa- benefit from learning visually. And that actually is a strength. That yeah. becomes your strength. There are a lot of cultures, not just here, but there's a lot of cultures out there that use space, direction, but the English language doesn't. It's actually very poor on space. Take, for example, um, the Aboriginal community in Australia. They use direction in space from morning in the east to night at west. So they use that as a way of describing what is going on. And then there would be other cultures and they use colour in detail. Uh, but the word English, it you know, we're very plain. Mm. It's very sound-based, and that can be a struggle for some. Okay. Um, John mentioned uh, just lack of data around prisoners who may be deaf. Is there any data around um, people in homeless services, addiction services, and other services like that that are deaf and <coughs> are deaf people overrepresented in those services, or do they fare well? Or is there just a lack of data? I am going to assume that there are deaf people out there using their addiction services, but we don't know how many. Mm-hmm. At the moment, there's research into the Centre for Deaf Studies, and it's called Justice Science 2 Project. It's an EU-funded project with several universities around Europe, and but this time around, they're focusing on domestic violence. So there's a lot of data there about poor access to services and so on. Now, I'm sure that there is, but there's no research that's been done. They're bound to be there. Mm. Um, there is information out there, but it's only those um, social workers, interpreters themselves that would know. But for the outside world, we wouldn't know. But I would imagine their frustration, their anger, their annoyance. I can imagine all of that. Yeah, when I was working in my previous job in addiction services and we have an initial assessment where you go through in detail a lot of data about that person. But the question, that question is never asked. Uh, maybe like inputting that question um, would probably be helpful for research purposes down the line. And then once you have data, you can get funding. So maybe that's something to consider. Also, we have the Director General of the Irish Prison Service in the studio later today. So maybe we can pose, propose to her as well, maybe like as part of the intake of a prisoner that you would record this data, again, making it easier for funding down the line to provide 
uh, services within the prison system. But um, I suppose another thing I wanted to ask as well is around um, if people are deaf, um, is there enough like psychotherapy? Like, is there a deaf specific psychotherapist? Is it um, is there uh, enough services for people that are struggling? Um, going back and talking about the prisons, I do know of deaf people that have gone to prison because the Irish Deaf Society has provided literacy support and the National Chaplaincy for Deaf People have provided pastoral care. I know of those two elements. Now, how effective they are, I don't know. Mm. I don't know if it actually resolved the issue of frustration. So that's the, the limit of my knowledge. But looking at the mental health services here in Ireland, um, the HFC, HFC have set up a new unit based in Dublin focusing on those who are deaf and hard of hearing that require mental health treatment. However, culturally, do they have that awareness, that competency, the sign language capacity? I don't think so. Mm. The services, um, I have to say, are quote-unquote crap. Because when I compare services here to the UK... And others, I think there are three, four specialist services in the UK whereby they have a deaf psychologist, competent sign language users that they can communicate directly with. They have deaf nurses. They can be found in other parts of the UK, but not in Ireland. I think we are so many years behind the UK. And the UK are not satisfied with their existing level of service. So you can imagine how bad the services are here. We already know how bad it is for the general public. But can you imagine what it's like for a group like ours, our community? Can you imagine what that's like? Mm-hmm. Now, we need staff that are competent sign language users so that they can do communicate directly rather than through an interpreter. And you know yourself, it's a lot easier when you've got direct communication. You're looking at the person in the eye and you can get what needs to be done. Yeah. There's uh, somebody accesses this podcast um, and he sent us an email recently and he goes to an addiction treatment day service, but he can't attend the groups which are integral really to general, general addiction treatment. So he accesses our podcast and like self-help meetings like uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcoholics Anonymous, the usual supports, they, they, he can't attend them, he doesn't get, you know, because he can't, he can't hear what's being said. So he accesses our podcast uh, in lieu of those traditional supports, but the, he's lip reading and it's not ideal and sometimes stuff might be in the context or maybe the camera switches maybe a couple of seconds late and he doesn't get the full sentence or like it got me thinking then like how many other people who are deaf are out there and they are blocked from accessing services and they might be struggling in silence you know so like um i don't know is there anything we can do maybe we can apply for a grant funding mm-hmm. um like what and in terms of like the services being far superior in the uk is there a minister in the uk that drives it have we anybody in ireland in public office have we ever had a deaf person in public office would you ever consider running a public office or would it be would it be uh, we know it would be difficult for somebody who is deaf but would it be too difficult would it be like inaccessible oh there you go again loads of questions okay (laughs) hang on um I cannot imagine how someone can go into a self-help group because if I were to go there, I can imagine myself struggling. Mm. I do know of some that have actually flown to the UK 
for that type of service at their own cost or at the HSE cost. I do not know that kind of detail. Yeah. But you're right, there does need to be more public awareness out there. Um, you know, I myself have stood up for the Shannon. I did that two years ago. It wasn't a bad experience. I got, and I was going as an independent, but there were struggles in place. I'm not a member of any political party. That's extremely difficult because you know that the voting's already decided beforehand. Mm. So I was going to the smaller groups who are independent, but not enough for um, to go into the Senate. Now, in Cork, you've got a deaf man by the name of Graham O'Shea. He went for the local county council again as an independent. Uh, he did face barriers and the political party. So if you want to go um, into a political party, you know that there's a hierarchy there, don't you? If you're going to progress through the party. Now, you can, uh, but you can have political successes without being in a political party. You can lobby, like take, for example, we set up um, the Centre for Deaf Studies. We set up the, um, the Irish Sign Lounge Bill, but we did that with Senator Mark Daly, with him leading us. Uh, so you know you can achieve, you can achieve outside of the political system, and those are some of the examples that I refer to. But if you were to get a deaf person in, into the political system, then they would have to uh, represent people of differing needs, not just deafness alone. Yeah, I think that's 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 actually a great point. Like there's so many different areas. You have people who are deaf, blind. You have people who have uh, who have uh, different other learning differences as well. So, traveller communities. You have people living in areas of poverty and criminality. You know, I think there's always room for somebody to stand up and back up for all these different people within our societies, mm -hmm. because there's probably not enough. You know, I think there's not enough, and I think all of these different groups of people have something in common. You know they're they're outside of the norm within our society today, and um, <clears throat> I think it'd be a great idea down the line to have somebody yeah. in in government who is deaf. Yeah. You know, they stand up for everybody else, and it's not just about standing up for deaf people. It's about standing up for people who are blind. You know, people who have different disabilities. You know, physical disabilities. People who have intellectual disabilities. So I think it's a great, uh, it'll be a great idea and I'm just planting the seed now actually yeah. for you, John. But I think the, the, the difficulty then is like when, because politics is local and in your constituency you might have only a, a tiny few of people who are deaf. So like the Shannon is probably the way to go where it's not like specific to a constituency, you know. And uh, maybe if you run again, we might help you with the promotion and uh, the, the, the the profile of it. Um, so we, we'd love to see you succeed in that. Mm. But we're coming up to uh, Sign Language Day, which is on the 14th of December. Have you any message for people who are deaf um, that are watching this podcast um, that may be struggling with their mental health or maybe struggling with confidence around employment, education and have you any kind of words of wisdom or encouragement for them going into the holiday season? Okay, I'm going to go back to your earlier point. Three things come to mind. <laughs> the first thing is that Ireland has ratified the UNCRPD uh, Article 4 it's the best hope for people with disabilities. 
Article 4 states that any policy, any new ideas that affect people with disabilities, the state must have meaningful conversations with disability-led organisations. Not professional groups, not parents, it's themselves. Of course they would be included in the system, but the priority is that it goes to people with disabilities first. So Article 4, it's there. It's not really... The, the, the government are still struggling with that kind of idea. But that is our best hope for any type of change to policies. And hopefully it will be fully implemented, but I'm somewhat cynical that would the government be willing to do that in spirit? That's my first hope. The second is, in the UK, uh, they have a grant by the state that any person with a disability, including deaf, they can stand, um, they can stand to politics by bringing in an interpreter, um, go door to door. Do you know the canvassing? Yeah. But in the Senate, I was actually reliant on goodwill. One and two interpreters willing to do a voluntary. That's not the way to do it. But in the UK, they've got that grant scheme available. Okay. So that was the second thing. Uh, I think I've covered. I think I've covered the answers to the questions yeah. that you were. I think. Yeah. Now going back to the other ones, uh, the fourteenth. We are marking the 14th of December to remember it as our National Irish Lounge Day because this is going to be our fifth anniversary of the Irish Lounge Act. Compared to 10 years ago, I think more people are interested learning sign lounge, they're more confident in signing out in public. So there are positives coming out of it, but there are many areas of neglect addiction services, mm. mental health services. They're screaming for help and it's easier to forget about them because they're vulnerable. There needs to be future consideration to focus on them. Now, I, as a deaf person, I think um, you need to have your own basic identity as early as you can. Tell the child you are deaf, you're fine you can learn sign language. Because when I was growing up, I was never told that there was nothing wrong with being deaf. All I got was, oh, poor you. Oh, what's a pity. Can you imagine what it's like to grow up with that and what you think? And then my parents were worried about my future. What am I going to be able to do? So you can imagine how that affects people's confidence and their mental health. We need to have it said positively, you're deaf and you can do. So the 14th of December message is that it is fine to be deaf. It is fine to use sign language. You can progress. You can. So can I tell you, uh, I tell you, can I tell you a little bit of a personal story about my two aunties? Yeah, we'd love to hear it. Uh, it's one of my favorite stories. When my parents passed away, I felt obligated to visit the aunties and the uncles and the whole lot of them. But there's two aunties that I went to visit on the same day. They come from my mother's side of the family. Both of them are elderly. They've now since passed as well. But this was in the late 80s. Now, the both of them have the same cultural background, same small town, had a business. You know, they were very similar 
from what I could see. And I was saying to my wife, Audrey, I feel obligated. I need to go and visit them. So I went to visit the first auntie. And she was somewhat surprised to see me. So, you know, there was the usual tea and asking how I was getting on. I was telling her what I was doing. She goes, oh, wow, you are successful, aren't you? Now, if you had been born hearing, you would have been more successful. And I was like, well, what can I be more successful than what I am now? Yeah, so I let her at it. You're not going to argue with an old auntie. <laughs> and the same day I went to see the second auntie, same question asked, how are you getting on? I said, if you were born hearing, you would not have been successful. Yeah, There's, it's like the glass. And that, and that created a memory of me, and that sums up society at large. Just by the two of them, the first auntie representing the majority, the second auntie representing the smaller population. Um, when I had said to the second, like, how could you decide such a thing? She goes, oh, I'm just looking at your own peer groups within my home. They all emigrated, became tradespeople. None of them went to university. Mm. And I went, okay, I can go with that one. But uh, just bringing it back to something he said there well ago around his parents, I thought it was very important. You know, growing up, his parents were a little bit worried about him. As time went on, then and his parents started to see how how well he was doing academically and going on. I don't know, did they see him accomplishing his PhD? But how did they feel in the end when just before they died of all John's work and what he's actually doing in Trinity at the moment? Were they very proud of him? My parents saw me achieve as far as the BA because they passed away, okay. but they had known that I was starting my MA. Okay. So I can imagine they would have said, oh, wow, he could do it. My mother was happy that I got my leaving cert mm. and that I had a safe job in the civil service. She was actually very content with that, but not realizing that I could actually progress further than that. But yeah, I know that she was happy and I know that if she were alive, she would be proud. Yeah. And when did you yourself, when, <coughs> when did you yourself know that you could actually go on and finish your masters and go on and do a phd when did that confidence started start to arise within you that you had the ability to go on and, and succeed in these areas the leaving cert it actually started with the um the evening class in the leaving yeah. cert because i remember going to the first class it was an english class can you imagine yeah. i've only done my intercert you know the old system so i did that and i'm now going into school and i'm writing down so they asked me to do an essay i handed it in and the woman gave it back to me and she had this look on her face and she says, I can't teach you. Like, you will have to go back to the intercept. And I said, no, I've done my intercept. And she said, that's not possible based on what you've written. Your standard is appalling. And then the second question that was asked, are you a foreigner? And I said, no, I'm not. And I said, I want to do my leaving search. So they had to go, I assume that they had a conversation with the principal and they said what I needed to do was have a lot of grinds. And I was like, okay, my parents offered to pay. So I did have my grinds. I can't remember the woman's name, um, but she was the one that, she was hard, she was hard on me. But the changes were made. Now, 
prior to that, I was actually given a false sense of that my English was good. In fact, it was really, really bad. I could not write English at all. But after all of those grinds, I then started passing my exams. And then I went on. Then I went, Ira, do you know what? I'll try the BA. Then after that, Ira, I'll try the MA. But I loved learning. I loved learning. But at the same time, I've got no patience because I just want to keep going. <laughs> so I did my BA, went to the MA, and then obviously the PhD. I have absolutely no regrets. Hard work, but I enjoyed it. Especially getting to a PhD. And I got my PhD in equality studies through the DCU, Dublin City University. And they would have a roundtable conversation every week. Different students, different backgrounds, education, law, health, everybody contributing in that round table. And that was where I learned so much from other people, how they spoke, research, um, but also a very politically aware group as well. Um, but it was slowly, I slowly evolved over time. Yeah. And my first, my first, out of the 11 of us, I was the first one to go into university. That is, that's so inspirational, John, you know, and I think that in itself, what you just said about your education journey is so inspirational, not just for deaf people, but for everybody that that went through the education system early on and it, it, it didn't sit with them, it didn't fit, you know, it shows that if it doesn't work for you at this time of your of your life, this period of your life, you can go on and do something else and go back to it and then do it when you're ready and it, it sits with you a little bit better because my own education journey is very similar to yours where it was 32 when I started my own education journey in the junior cert and stuff like that and went yeah. on to do a, a, to do a, the leaving cert then and then on to do an honours degree in construction management and now a masters you know what we're doing here is we're showing people who say I can't do that. Education is not for me. You know, we're showing them that, yes, you can do that. And you know what? Education is for you if you can get the education that meets your ability and your need, you know, your needs. And I think that's inspirational in itself. And education is a key, a key benefactor in everybody's growth, not just academically, but but, but also spiritually. So I think it's absolutely amazing what you're doing and uh, fair play to you. I think it's inspirational. Yeah, and we've had many inspirational people on the podcast and you're definitely up there. And this, uh, as Timmy said, it's the education piece as well because myself and Timmy come from, you know, checkered past and difficult backgrounds, but education was the transformative in our lives. You know, it helped redefine who we were. And no, it gives us it gives us the the English, it gives us the language to you know, articulate our experiences and advocate for others who are less fortunate, similar to what you're doing today. So it was a pleasure talking to you. It was an honour really. And thanks to the Cork Deaf Association for organising it and for the lovely interpreters mm -hmm. and for your wife for giving us the time as well. So thank you, John, and uh, it was great to meet you. And if there's anything else while we have you here now, if there's anything else you want to plug talk about just before we do finish up now's a great time to jump in and let us know I'm going to quickly go back to your point Tim um, I commend you on your education because you the both of you are inspiring others coming from your backgrounds 
And I think the human quality that is overlooked is resilience. Mm. You are resilient. Where does it come from? It comes from your own drive. Is it your identity? Is it your belief in yourself? I think that is key. I, the education system failed me, but I did not fail them. Can you see the difference? And I think resilience is such a powerful human quality that should always be encouraged. 100%. 100,000,000%. Great message to finish on. And we only get resilience through the tough times in life. And, and, And that's where resilience comes from. It comes from going through hardship, going through difficulties being told you can't do it and you you driving forward and and getting it done and proving people wrong and that's where resilience comes it comes from all those different areas so thanks john Chanel. and thank you and thank you it's been a pleasure to be here and i wish you both the best with your future podcast and look forward to more meaningful access as well thank you john. thank you very much thank, thank you good on you both thank you and thank you 